0: Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast. Hello, I'm Julie.
1: And I'm Art. Join us as we share our travel stories. We'll tell you about where we've been, what we saw, and what we did. We're always looking for a bit of an adventure.
0: Sometimes we travel far. Sometimes we explore the places close to our home. Wherever we go... We'll let you know about the highlights and top tips to help you plan your future adventures.
1: This is the Places Where We Go podcast. Welcome to the Places Where We Go podcast, where we're continuing to explore sites and attractions in and around London, England. We're sharing experiences from our recent trip and hope to provide you with ideas of places to visit next time you find yourself in London. Today, we'll visit the site of a historic military event as we head to the Battle of Britain bunker. But first, things happen when you travel. Yes, there's always something unexpected.
0: Boop, 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 boop.
1: (laughs) The morning of our trip to the Battle of Britain bunker. That's pretty much how we woke up. Yes. We were sleeping (laughs) peacefully. When we awoke in alarming fashion, quite literally.
0: And it was a, what the l hockey sticks was that?
1: <laughs> yeah. We were sound asleep, and my iPhone started to make this unusual alarm sound. Awaking from my sleep, my eyes weren't quite adjusted yet. I grabbed my phone, and there was a message on it. My eyes couldn't focus initially, but soon enough, I saw the message That was communicated to us by our home security system back in California. And it read, fire detected at, insert our address. This is no way to wake up. My heart was racing. Panic City. I immediately tried... To phone our son, who should have been home, mm-hmm. but this would have turned out to be the first phone call I would attempt since we landed overseas, and in my panic, I was having trouble figuring out the damn country code you have to put in when you're making international calls, because you can't just press call our son, you have to do the whole, whatever it is, plus zero, one, one. I didn't one. do that. No. You, Well, I mean, I tried to do that. In your
0: mind, that's how it's always been done. I don't think, because we had international calling. Yeah. I don't think that was necessary. Because in my panic.
1: Which was less than mine. No, yours was more controlled than mine. Yeah. I thought our house was burning down. You did. Yes. You did. That's what the phone said.
0: (laughs) And in my mind, I'm like going, I don't know what I thought, actually. All, All I thought was, you couldn't get a hold of our son- Who was here supposed to be watching the house and was watching the house did a very nice job. So I'm like, I'm gonna get a hold of my daughter who's five minutes away from the house. And I just hit her speed dial and I got her.
1: Okay, well, that was that was good. I just remember when you had her on the phone, I think I was screaming on the side there, call 911 now. Yes, yes. And in
0: my head, I'm thinking, hold on, Buster.
1: No, 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 what do you mean? And she did. Well. There's false alarms all the time, but... is not something to be casual with. The house could have been burning down. But you weren't being successful
0: in your panic. You have to not panic. Well. So my daughter then called 911. hmm And then after I hung up with my daughter, I called my son and he actually answered. So for some reason, my phone was going through. I think you tried, but something wasn't working. Yes. I, I don't know if it was a setting. I don't know what it was. And he immediately told us, it's okay, it's fine, I'm here. The fire alarm went off, but he had some friends over, and apparently they were having some a game night or something.
1: There was a little situation, and but there was no fire. There was no fire. So it, it ended up with good news. Yes. Other than I had quite the adrenaline rush. Oh, my.
0: Yes. Oh, my. Yes. You certainly did. Yes. But not unwarranted,
1: Yeah.
0: Because you thought the house was on fire.
1: Yeah, so we walk away from this episode with a few tips to share. So I'm going to correct one thing that we said when we started this off. I mentioned that my phone was the one making the noise. It was actually Julie's phone making the noise, which brings me to my first tip. My phone actually didn't alert me to the emergency. Why was that? Because I had it stuck in airplane mode. And when I travel because I'm usually taking so many photos and so many videos with my phone. I'm trying to preserve battery life. So I often keep it in airplane mode. So I think tip number one is if you want to make sure you have access to important messages like this when you're traveling overseas, far away from home, don't keep your phone in airplane mode. Maybe this is where it Helps, And we have, we have a couple of these. We have those battery packs that you can connect your phone to. So if the battery gets low on juice, you can hook it up to one of those battery packs and get a charge. So that's one consideration. And then secondly, although you're suggesting maybe this isn't necessary, but I think it's good to know this just in case, when you arrive in a new country, knowing how to dial internationally can come in handy.
0: If you're using a phone... Other than your cell phone, mm-hmm. you, you have to have that international code.
1: Yeah, because there is a country code or yeah. something else code. And
0: and the um, international plan that we had through our cell phone company knew where we were, basically. Mm-hmm. They knew exactly where we were because I had told them, yeah. you know, we're going to this country and this country and this country. And so it's whatever their programming is allowed it to go straight through.
1: So that was the first thing that happened that morning, but that wasn't the only thing that we had to take care of that morning.
0: No, we had done an amazing amount of walking.
1: Impressive amount of walking. Yes, Yes.
0: very, very impressive. But as happens, sometimes you get injuries from all the walking. Some of it's preventable, some of it's not. And I happened to get blisters. So I had a little bit of blister care, that I had to take care of. And because I knew we, we we're walkers, I knew that's what we do. I had packed some moleskin and I also had a second set of shoes to wear. The new sneakers that I had were called Hoka's and they're great shoes. They're awesome. That's the one that brought on the blister because they were new. So I just made the switch to um, some open sh- sandal-like shoes, and that kept the pressure and the friction off my feet, and it worked great. So our next tip for visiting places where you have lots of walking in your itinerary is to bring a small first aid kit in your backpack or your luggage. It comes really, really in handy when you think you might not even need it, but when you need it, It's a great thing to have to continue on without pain, walking this wonderful places that we love to travel. And the other tip is to bring a second pair of shoes. The first pair of shoes that did give me a blister or something that um, if I didn't need to wear them and I had that second pair of shoes. And I was preventing blisters. It's, it's a great idea to have the, a second pair available.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe also because your experience was the fact that there's, the sneakers you had were brand new. Yeah. So maybe it's like, don't plan to travel where you're going to do a lot of walking with a brand new pair of shoes you haven't broken in.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and I knew that would be a problem. Yeah. So that's, that's why I kind of was thinking ahead. So now let's go back to our travels.
1: Let's go to the Battle of Britain bunker. The morning of our visit to this next destination, we first stopped for a light breakfast of oatmeal and coffee at a place called Pure at the Hammersmith Station. With our tummies full, we journeyed to to our next stop in the quaint town of Uxbridge, a short tube journey from London, where we then made our way to the Battle of Britain bunker. Once off the tube, it was about a 20-minute walk to the bunker, fairly easy to find with Google Maps on our phone, which helped as the street signs were showing directions really intended for cars. But walking to the bunker, you can save time by cutting through Dowding Park, which we did, and you'll miss that if you don't have this pre-mapped on your itinerary, on your map program, because if you're just following the street signs, you're going to be going in the direction of cars, and it's just a little bit longer. A
0: little bit longer, um, and that's a pretty busy street that we're walking on. Yeah.
1: We walked past Hillingdon House, which has a rich history and served as a base for several Royal Air Force units in the early 20th century.
0: The Battle of Britain bunker historic site is a must visit for anyone interested in World War II history or aviation. The bunker served as the Royal Air Force's or RAF Fighter Command headquarters during the Crucial Battle of Britain in 1940. Most people have heard of the Battle of Britain. It was a very significant battle in World War II. And this particular bunker now operates as a museum that's preserving all this wonderful, rich history. We got there around 11 a.m. And we learned a guided tour was to be offered at noon. So we have plenty of time to kind of casually stroll around the area. And we spent the first hour just walking through the self-guided museum exhibits, which were absolutely fascinating. A few aircraft dangled from the ceiling, including a Spitfire and a Hurricane. And I remember you were particularly interested in the Spitfire.
1: Yeah, those are planes my dad had always talked about. He was with the RAF during that, a little bit after that time, I think, early 1940s. And um, he had an affinity for airplanes because he was around them so much.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. We uh, went up to the second floor level and we were reading about the men and women who contributed to the World War II fighting effort and then made our way to the ground level. Downstairs, we learned about the doubting system, the world's first integrated air defense system. Quite a few of the exhibits discuss the bunker experience. Many of those who served here were youngsters fresh out of high school who would spend much of their time underground during the war. The exhibits culminate with the story of September 15th, 1940, the Battle of Britain Day. And there were exhibits about the famous D-Day in Normandy also. An interesting fact is that during World War II, the lake at St. James Park was drained so that enemy aircraft couldn't use its location as a landmark.
1: As it was approaching noon before our tour, we looked through the items in the small gift shop and noticed quite a few books about Squadron 303 and the Polish contribution to Britain in World War II. And these will be getting added to our home library. Then it was noon and we made our way down into the bunker. Descending 76 steps.
0: I remember counting them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember the tour guide making a point of warning people how many steps it was going to be and there might be a challenge. But for us, Julie, it was nothing. We've hiked to the top of Moro Rock in Sequoia National Park. We just did that a, a month or so before this trip in altitude. So give us 76 steps, a normal altitude, no problem. <laughs> Make your way down the steps. There are 76 of them, so take your
2: time. Okay, so welcome to the bunker. You've just come down those 77 steps. They're the same 77 steps that Churchill, Eisenhower, De Gaulle, the late Queen, all came down because there's only one room into the bunker, so you've just walked in the footsteps of history. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I say, we've just come down those steps. We're now about 60 feet below ground, about 18 meters. You've got about 30 feet of clay and earth
1: Visitors can explore the original bunker and see where the Royal Air Force commanders made crucial decisions that ultimately led to victory. The underground operations room has authentic equipment and furniture and you get a unique and immersive experience and a sense of what it must have been like when these decisions were being made in the bunker. Once we were downstairs, our tour guide said that we could take all the photos we wanted but no video. However, we were given an exception in one area by our tour guide. So we're going to see what we can pull together in a few weeks for our YouTube channel from this trip. But that's something to know when you go here. And it's true, I think, with several museums is sometimes there's limits on photography Mm -hmm, and or video, this place being no exception.
0: When you make it into the bunker, you see a giant map in the center of the room. This is the decision room. This was the central area for planning. Information was gathered by radar, by spotters in fields, in church towers, by volunteers with only binoculars. They would search the enemy aircraft uh, in the air, by sea, and if they saw something, they would relay that into the bunker. This absolutely was stunning to us.
1: Yeah, it was a whole effort with just people on the ground that it was it was amazing. Yeah. Came together.
0: Yeah. Our tour guide helped us understand the systems used in World War II that made this bunker operational and functional. So on this map, there were teams of people using certain manual devices that were color-coded by recency and, and where things are spotted and the time that they were spotted. And then there was this giant board on the wall that was used for the status of the aircraft. Were they available? Were they ready to go? Were they in the air? It was very, very manual. And it was so different from the things that they can do today in this era of using computers. It was so innovative. It was so well done. And it worked. I was fascinated by the whole thing. It was simple in my mind, because I, of what I see today and I think how simple it was, but back then, it was the genius of the
1: day. Yep, and people coming together to uh, get the right information in the right place at the right time to the right people.
0: Yeah, and they did yeah. that very well too. Yep. So after some time in this big map room, the bunker tour continued with an extended museum area below ground. It was just fascinating to be under the, in these places where you knew that so much action was happening during this very, very vital time within our history, within US history and Britain history. The whole, the whole thing was mm-hmm. amazing.
2: And when Churchill first visited this bunker in August 1940, upon leaving, he went up the stairs, he went outside, he got into his car, in pretty much the exact same position we were stood, and he said to his Secretary General Hastings this they don't talk to me, I have never been so moved. And he said some very famous words, which will be repeated in Parliament a few days later, that never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. And I feel like that sums up the work of these people in the bunker very well.
0: One of the highlights of the visit to the Battle of Britain bunker is learning about the vital role of Squadron 303 in the Battle of Britain. This Polish squadron, known as the Kosciuszko squadron, was one of the top performing units in the battle and played a crucial part in defending British skies against German attacks. We learned that the Polish pilot kill rate was impressive, it was better than the Britain squadrons.
1: Yeah, and speaking about the Polish contribution, there was a room in the museum that we then visited after we came out of the bunker that was dedicated to the Polish contingency that was fighting with the RAF. The entry had a quote from General Dowding that reads, Had it not been for the magnificent material contributed by the Polish squadrons and their unsurpassed gallantry, I hesitate to say that the outcome of the battle would have been the same. Before leaving the grounds, we also wandered outside through an area that's called the Polish Air Force Heritage Trail, which included an exhibit devoted to the historic Polish Squadron 303. It was at RAF Uxbridge where Group 11 of the Royal Air Force was based and from August 1940 during World War II, nearly always included at least one Polish squadron. A couple of things that we liked about this museum, it was focused primarily on a singular event and that reminded us a little bit of... Visiting the Churchill War Rooms, which we visited on our prior trip to London, for me, kind of just that focus on a specific point in time, in this case, the Battle of Britain made what we were seeing easier to comprehend versus some of these museums that, you know, will have history that spans decades and decades or centuries and centuries. I kind of like to focus on a particular thing. So I, I personally enjoy that. There was also a few broader topics presented at this museum, such as the history of radar development, but most of the focus was on the people who served at the bunker and their involvement in the Battle of Britain and also on D-Day. And we also enjoyed learning about what life was like for the people who served here and learned that about 80% of the folk who were at the bunker were women. Mm
0: -hmm. Very fascinating.
1: So women helped to save the world. Of course they did.
0: A visit to the museum typically takes around one to two hours. For history buffs and aviation enthusiasts, it is easy to spend longer exploring and learning about the crucial events in this bunker. Outside the museum fly the flags of 15 nations that provided fighter command with airmen during World War II. We enjoyed our visit here. The Battle of Britain Bunker Museum is a must-see for anyone wanting to understand the RAF's role in World War II and commemorate the brave men and women behind the scenes who fought in this war. We highly recommend it for history and military buffs.
1: Yep, it's a great addition, and I think one of the places in London that I know, gets put on a lot of people's itineraries is the Churchill War Rooms. I think this is a nice addition to a visit like that if if you're Mm -hmm. interested in that kind of history. Mm -hmm. So after we were done at the museum, we headed back into the town of Uxbridge. And and one thing I I remember when we were walking through Uxbridge, because we've talked occasionally about, you know, someday in the future, when we visit parts of Europe, it might be nice to have like a base where We get a place for a month or two months or whatever. For London, Uxbridge kind of struck me as this might be a nice place to have like an Airbnb type of place for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Because it's far enough away out of the city center where I imagine you could probably get something for much cheaper than you would in central London. But it's accessible by tube and you can reach so much of -hmm. of London easily. Mm -hmm. It was a quiet area. We did stroll back into the village of Uxbridge and we've mentioned on a few episodes past this quest we were on <laughs> to find Julie address.
0: Yeah.
1: We or found skirt. yes, we found a shopping mall. And one more time we were gonna have one more chance to see can we find Julie address? And in the mall there were women clothing shops. And so Julie went inside on a mission. To find a dress. It was a success. Yes, we landed at a place called The New Look. Uh Uh-huh. And you left not with one new look. But two. Two.
0: I mean, if you find something you like, go for it. And it was very reasonably priced, I thought.
1: So we had success there too.
0: Yes. One was a dress with a shirt. And then I got a skirt that would go with what I already brought with me. So it was a win-win.
1: And we had much more travel ahead of us, and that'll be coming up in future episodes. But today's focus was the Battle of Britain bunker. Hopefully, you found that interesting. Hopefully, you find it something that you consider visiting if you're in London. Again, we enjoyed it a lot. And before we close, if you want to stay up to date on travel tips and news, visit the link in our show notes to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's 100% free, and we bring you weekly information to inspire your wanderlust, plus travel tips to save you time, money, and stress. And an example of what you might learn, this is from our newsletter that just came out this morning that we're recording this podcast. The latest cruise line rankings were released by U.S. News and World Report.
0: And Viking Ocean Cruises earned the top spot in three of the categories. So they were Best Cruise Lines for Couples, Best Cruise Line in the Mediterranean, and Best Luxury Cruise Lines.
1: Yep. Disney Cruise Line landed number one in the Best Cruise Lines for Families category. So if you're planning a cruise, knowing which cruise lines have the best reputation in different categories can help you plan for a perfect cruise adventure. And again, this is just one example of the information you'll find every week in our newsletter.
0: So thank you for joining us. And we hope that you leave comments for us. We love comments. And if you're not subscribing to us yet, take a minute to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite source for podcasts and catch up on our future episodes.
1: Join us on our next episode as we bring you stories from our travel adventures.
0: Thanks for joining us again. And until next time, happy travels. And we hope to see you at the places where we go. If you have any comments or information to share with us about travel, you can write to us at comments at theplaceswherewego.com.
1: You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram as The Places Where We Go. You can find us on Twitter as The Places Where One, the number one. And you can watch our travel adventures on YouTube, where our channel name is The Places Where We Go.
0: Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you at the places where we go.
1: See you next time. Bye now.